I was engaged to a guy who turned out to be a pathological liar and went to jail. He had been engaged to another woman while he was engaged to me. He was a doctor in the military. He deceived people there. So he was duping people and stealing the identities of people left and right. And that's when I thought, this guy's nuts. He's insane. And he's trying to make me even you know, more insane, and it's not going to happen. Welcome to How To. I'm David Epstein. Have you ever had your identity stolen? Unfortunately, the odds are that even if you haven't, someone you know has. Someone in America falls prey to identity theft every two seconds. And now with the pandemic putting so many people in financially desperate situations, cyber crooks have been running rampant. Now, a lot of identity theft is really just an inconvenience. Maybe you have to freeze a credit card, change a password. But for our listener this week, it has completely upended her life. Meet Casey from Texas. That's not her real name, and soon you'll understand why. My husband was a recent victim of identity theft. His social security number was compromised, and we have been working on trying to unravel all of that. It all started in September, when Casey and her husband got a letter from their bank about a credit card they'd applied for. Except they hadn't applied for a credit card. We called, and we found out that they had applied for this card, and then they had applied for several other cards with several other credit card companies. And we found this out by looking at his credit report and seeing everything that was on the credit report. And uh, I think all told, there were about 10 or 11 inquiries. And each one of those, like, harms your credit report, right? Each one of those inquiries? Yes, yes. It stays on your credit for a number of years, and then if it's fraudulent, you should be able to fight it and get it taken off, but it's a very lengthy process. And 11 of them is a lot. Yes. I imagine that was stressful, to watch that count tick up and not know where it was going. Yes. Not knowing what it was going to take to make it stop. While fighting those fraudulent inquiries, Casey learned the thieves had opened up five different accounts at the major credit bureaus in her husband's name. That meant they had access to his entire credit history and all his personal information. And the timing could not have been worse. Casey and her husband had been planning to apply for a loan to build their dream house. Instead, Casey was obsessively checking their credit reports. And that's when things got a little creepier. One of the things we found out is that they live about 15 minutes from our house, which is kind of scary. And we have no idea if we know them or not. Um... It is a little suspicious that they live so close to us, which it does sort of tend to um, indicate that maybe we know this person, maybe um, this person has been in our house before, but we don't really know. So they froze their credit, alerted the police, and hoped it would all be over soon. But the police told Casey that even though they have the suspect's address, they can't actually make any arrests unless they catch them in the act. That leaves Casey, now months later, still waiting watching, and most of all, worrying. I remember one night where I, like, I could not stop thinking about it, and I was um, up that night, once an hour at least, checking to make sure that all the money that had been in our checking and savings account was still there. And I was just checking over and over and over again. How much time were you spending doing this? I would say that there were weekends where I would put in you know, 16, 20 hours working on this. On today's episode, when someone steals your identity or personally betrays your trust, how can you take back control of your life so that you can sleep at night? 
we'll bring on an expert who is duped in one of the worst ways imaginable. But she learned how to move on and not let the bad guys win. We'll be right back. No, really, you can trust us on this one. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The greatest betrayal of Abby Ellen's life began with a newspaper assignment. I was writing a story about detox diets and I needed to quote an expert and someone suggested this guy. Abby is a journalist and the author of Duped, a book about this fateful interview and the bizarre and life-altering aftermath. And so I quoted him. Um, actually, it was in the New York Times. And I called to fact check. I said, are you still in Florida? And he said, no, I'm in the Navy now. I rejoined. I'm opening up a hospital for kids with cancer in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I said, that's awesome. I want to write about that. <laughs> Keep me posted. And so he sort of did. So we had never met in person until a while later than when he finally was coming to New York City, where I was living, because he had to give a big talk at the U.N., uh, clearly. And uh, so he came to do his talk at the UN and we went to dinner. Six months later, Abby and this man, who she calls the commander, were engaged. They moved in together in D.C. Well, he worked at the Pentagon and Abby went to grad school for international relations. But the more time she spent with the commander, the more Abby sensed that something just wasn't quite right. What first made you suspicious? Um, he told me he had met his first, the first ex-wife, who was really his second ex-wife, but his first, when he rescued her when she was held hostage in Iran. And I said, the age, it didn't add up. I said, when were we in Iran? He said, oh, it was a secret mission. You wouldn't have heard about it. Really? Well, and then I thought, okay, th someone has to do these jobs. Like, better, what a better decoy than this nerdy, asthmatic doctor, you know? Like, like why not? And then he told me that he worked at Guantanamo as a medical director, which he did. That was part of the problem, is that he kind of mixed fiction and, and, and fact together. And one of his patients was a very wanted terrorist named Osama bin Laden. And I said, that is impossible. And he said, 
the president doesn't know. And then I got like all, you know, Carrie Matheson and Homeland, like, oh my God, who's the jihadist and who's not and who knows what? I mean, it was, I was gaslit. I mean, I was just making myself crazy. Suddenly, Abby found herself using her reporting skills to investigate her own fiancé. She talked to her professors about whether the commander's impressive stories could even be possible. They were like, yeah, that's not possible. The final straw was when we went out to dinner with my parents and we had Brussels sprouts and he raved about the Brussels sprouts. And when we got out, he said, that meal was like awful. (laughs) And I said, why did you lie? And he said, I wanted to make them feel better. And that's when I said, you know what? I'm out. There's no need to lie about something. Like, okay, so so he was treating Osama bin Laden mm-hmm. uh, and the president didn't know about it, but it was the Brussels sprouts praise that gave him away in the end. <laughs> I knew they weren't good, but more than that, he admitted that he had lied. He said, I wanted to make them feel good. And I thought you could lie so beautifully, which just flowed out of him. If you could lie about that, you could lie about anything. When you finally did confront him, uh, how did he react to that? Well, I left him. I said, I'm out. So I never talked to him again. And I didn't find out until a year and a half later that he, in fact, had been stealing identities. And he was a drug addict. And um, I got a call from NCIS. And they said, you know, there's a doctor who's been writing prescriptions for Vicodin. And he's been using a bunch of people's names and identities. And you're one of the people. Do you know this guy? Do you have a prescription? And I said, well, no, because I prefer Valium. And so... (laughs) Of course. But anyway, so he went to jail. I had to make a statement against him. I just started researching all this stuff about this guy. Having the guy you're about to marry steal your identity is obviously different than what Casey's going through. But it actually has a lot more in common with her situation than you might think. Abby has wrestled with the kind of psychological trauma that really defines any breach of trust. And she understands the obsession that's now leading Casey to work 20-hour weekends on her case. So you're in this kind of like liminal space of you maybe probably sort of know them, but you don't know and you're not sure if you're ever going to find out. Right. Like, can you kind of describe where you are with all this? Well, I kind of actually um, had this idea that I might want to sort of help other victims by maybe writing a book about the experience. I guess like what I'm trying to do is, you know, sort of gather information about how other people handled it and how they move forward with their lives. But I don't necessarily want to focus too much on our case because I feel like it's not mentally healthy. Abby, and you've seen more people get duped and, and cope with getting duped than the next person by, by a long shot. So I'm curious to hear sort of your take yeah, on that. Yeah, I what have. Works. And, and um, what's the most interesting thing to me is when I was writing the book was, A, how many people I spoke to who had been duped. And most people didn't want to talk about it or use their real name because everybody felt completely humiliated. So when you talk about writing a book, you know, and to help people, and what I tried to do anyway is at least make people feel less stupid. And if you're gonna feel stupid, that's okay because everybody's stupid then. And also I feel like all of the logistics of it, like I didn't, it it took a while for us to sort of feel our way through it. So I think that there's a lot of little tips that you wouldn't necessarily know. So I'm wondering if since you want to share tips and make them more available, Casey, could you like just run down a couple of the things that if you knew what you know now that you would share with someone in your position? Yeah, definitely. Um, So the first thing is I I really like Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And there's um, he has like a two minute video out there about freezing your credit. 
Well, consumer advocates told us that the one big step everyone should take is to go to all three large credit reporting companies, that's Equifax, Experian and TransUnion, and freeze your credit. That way, no one can access it, including you, until you unfreeze it. And that would be like my number one tip. Freeze your credit with um, the three main credit bureaus and also with check systems and Innovis, which is a credit bureau that deals with utilities. So freeze your credit with all five of those, regardless of whether you're a victim or not. Yeah. It's free to do, it's easy to do, uh, and it really prevents anyone from putting any um, unwanted inquiries onto your credit. So I would do that. The other thing is, the thing the bank recommended is a two-factor um, identification where you log in, but then also they send you like a, a code to put in. Casey has other tips for dealing with identity theft too. Sign up with a free credit monitoring app like Credit Karma, for example, and keep an eye on your accounts and make sure that no one's created new ones under your name. And remember, you may need to report identity theft to specific companies, like your health insurance, in case someone gets a prescription in your name. If there's a possibility um, to hire a personal injury lawyer, that might be something you want to consider because they have deeper pockets and they might be able to do some investigation that you yourself don't have the resources to do. So it seems like Casey actually has it all figured out, right? Well, not exactly. She knows what's on her to-do list to keep the thieves at bay, but she's still struggling with the emotional toll. Casey can monitor her accounts day and night, but that's actually part of the problem. When we come back, Abby tells Casey how she can get her life back even if the thief is never caught. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. We're back with our listener, Casey, and our expert, Abby Ellen. Casey's been dealing with the fallout of identity theft, an experience that she thinks is haunting her, partly because the potential suspects live just 15 minutes away. I'm sort of curious, Casey, have you thought about, you know, investigating yourself or anything like that? Yeah, I, I have definitely thought about it. Um... And I've thought about getting in a car and driving over there. But the idea terrifies me a little bit. Like the idea of reaching out to them, of 
letting them, they've already sort of invaded my space, but like giving them an mm. open door to kind of invade it more, like just really sort of freaks me out. There's something to be said for not going out there and playing Nancy Drew and going to the house. I, I, I would have done it. I would have probably have searched through uh, records in the household to see if anything seemed to miss there. Oh, I've I've done property searches. I know who owns the property and I know that the people who live there are not the people who own the property. I mean, I like, I've done my fair share of, you know, black hole diving. <laughs> my fear is that you might know them. I'm really worried about that. According to Abby, Research has found that identity theft victims very often know the perpetrators. I imagine we probably do. Yeah. There were a couple of things that happened in the summer. We had had some contractors in working. And there was one situation where we had several contractors in that day. And um, they did have access to areas where the um, where, where some of our tax information was um, located. And there was one girl who we kind of at the time thought, well, she kind of behaved a little bit suspiciously. She had like a bag of garbage in her hand and she took it out a few times. And at the time, my husband and I both thought, well, that was kind of odd. But then we didn't think about it again until this happened. Did you ever call the company? No, not really. No, we had dealt with the contractor before. We just kind of trusted him because he seemed like a really good guy. And and I, like I said, it wasn't necessarily him. Right. It no, it was one of the workers. It could be yeah. new employees, right? Yeah. So maybe this is kind of thing where you can tell him and and see what he can do. Yeah. Well, I uh, I don't know. I, I I my husband and I did talk about that, and I think that he thought it would be. Well, rude to contact the the contractor and say, "Hey, there's a chance that somebody might have done this." I, and I understand that too, because you don't want to accuse somebody falsely and then be wrong. I mean, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. But I also think for your own peace of mind, you know. And there are ways of saying it. You don't say, "Oh my God, your guys stole from me." You say, yeah. you know, I'm just doing some recon and I'm trying to figure out and I'm going through in my head who was in my house and who had access to it and is it possible? Yeah. So Casey had this situation where she and her husband, you know, saw something that, that struck them as odd. But being, I think, probably normal, um, kind people, it's not your first assumption that someone's trying to take advantage of you, right? And so, and, and maybe they didn't. Again, we have no idea. But would you advise sort of being more proactive about acting on that that oddness that that they felt? I would I would be I say be more mindful of that. Yes, I would. When you're the hair stand up, pay attention to that. Yeah, there's been enough times in my life where my spidey senses have told me something's off, and nothing's been off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that I I I am not as in tune with my um, with my gut. So Abby, what do you think? Let's assume that spider senses are have a very high false positive rate. Uh-huh. Um, how would you recommend dealing with them given that fact? Well, at least you checked it out. At least you uh -huh. dotted every I and crossed every T, as they say, right? At least you researched whatever you could. At least you didn't do anything um, kind of willy-nilly. That I, 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 I am a fan of checking things out. Mm -hmm. I've had been suspicious of things, and I've turned out I was, I was wrong. And I thought, okay, well, good. So I was wrong. That's nice. Yeah. 
But I, I'm really of the, I'd rather be safe than sorry. And again, I've yeah. so many stories about this and from people. That, and they sensed that something was off and they didn't do anything about it. And they should have. Here's our first rule. Listen to your gut. Even if your spidey senses don't have the best track record, it's worth investigating something that doesn't feel quite right, as long as you're polite and fair about it. Because it's only after you ask those questions and try to get answers that you'll feel like you did everything you could. Abby, do you think this, that kind of replaying, you know, something felt off to me, I could have behaved differently, contributes to the sense of shame that that follows people who've been duped? Yes. And you know what else follows people who've been duped? There's been studies about this. The smarter you are, the more likely you are to have been duped uh, because you think you would never be duped. And so that actually compounds the shame as well because you think, God, I'm so smart. This would never happen to me. Oh, my God, it did. <laughs> I really, maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am. So all of that, it all factors in. You mentioned getting to know a bunch of the people that your fiancé had taken advantage of. Yeah, that helped. It was also talking to many other people and hearing many other stories um, of people who had been deceived in many different situations and just, again, knowing how common it was. Um, Mm -hmm. And in my situation, again, there were people at the Pentagon, there were people in the Navy, there were ex-wives, there was his children. So knowing that there was this slew of people, misery loves company. So in one way or another, it sounds like finding social networks of people who had similar experiences was very helpful to you. Yeah. I get letters from people all the time now. I mean, all the time from people who who want to tell me their story. or and, and a lot of them are really, really wounded. Again, I don't think people talk about it. So the very fact that you're willing to talk about it is wonderful. And that's our next rule. It's easy to feel ashamed when you're taken advantage of, but talking about it with other people helps you understand how common it is and that it's not your fault. It helps you feel like you're helping someone else. And something good can actually come out of this mess. You're both striking some personal chords with me because I, I sort of feel like in, in a I, getting duped genre sense, I had like an experience that has a little bit from each one of you where somebody that I was close with put a keylogger on my computer. Mm. And I was fortunate to have nothing of financial use to anyone at the time. Um, so so that didn't matter. But it 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 messed up my personal life. And the worst part of it, though was the psychological fallout of just, I was like not willing to have a computer open near people Mm -hmm. for a long time because I was like, nope, not going to get duped again kind of thing. You know, they didn't steal my identity. They just kind of invaded the privacy. But I just found it psychologically difficult to put behind me. And Casey, has it for you affected sort of your sense of of trust or openness in, in any other parts of your life at all? Um. I think so. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like I'm more guarded now. Um, I don't know that I can necessarily assume the level of trust that I had before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think that like, especially where people I, I know but don't know are concerned, right. um, it, it's harder, you know, like maybe coworkers or you know, neighbors or something, you kind of, there's a little bit more, you know, sort of skepticism than there was before. But being more aware doesn't help Casey solve another lingering piece of the damage, obsessing over every little change in her credit score. 
I made this deal with myself where I cannot spend more than 30 minutes a day trying to, you know, do damage control or, or trying to investigate his case. It's 30 minutes. And then it, it quickly went from 30 minutes to like 15. And I, I really discovered that it was the worst 15 minutes of my day. I, I could be working on creative projects or I could be working on home improvement projects. I could be walking my dog. All of these wonderful things that I could be doing, binging whatever TV show, are so much more fun than spending time on this like black hole of identity theft. It keeps you tethered to the perp. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Right, and that's not healthy. Yeah. It just keeps you mired in the muck. It keeps you in the same headspace as, as you were in when you first discovered this, and they get a certain power over you still. They have a hold over you because for however long you're researching this thing. This is something I thought about when I spent you know, two years writing this book about this person. There was this big part of me that thought he's a total narcissist and he must be loving this, you know? I mean, when it comes out. I am now, my whole thinking is about this and deception and how it impacts me and how it impacts other people and and what the world is like because of it. And it's all because of this one guy. And so it's it's a big hold over a person. Here's another rule. As helpful as it is to talk about your experience, dwelling on what happened can double your losses. Your thief has already stolen enough from you. Don't let them steal more of your time. When I try to step back and think about it, um, you know, I think there have been other scenarios like this, including the one that I was involved with, where for a certain period of time, I doubled my losses by investigating. And, and I don't know that investigative reporters, we might not be the most psychologically healthy. So Casey, you like might be really much more healthy and you're, you might be more self-protective than, uh, you know, than Dave and I are. It's definitely helpful to just know that other people are going through the same thing and that it's kind of just a fact of modern life. It is. Now. I, I like almost never talk about the experience I had Um and so I can tell for me, it, it was it was different to 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 get to listen to people who have been through these experiences, you know, and we all have to force ourselves not to, like, feel stupid about them. Wait, can I ask you, Dave, why didn't you why don't you talk about it? Um, I mean, I found it pretty, pretty painful, I guess. And, yeah. and I found out who it was and I kept getting messages from them, but never responded again. And I realized that I just needed to needed to cut that off. You didn't and, want to confront them. I mean, I did want to confront them, but to be honest, I, I talked to a mental health attorney who t- said, this, you know, this person has some issues. Here's what's going to happen next. They're going to contact you in this way, in this way. You know, first they're going to blame you, then they're going to be apologetic. Any strategy to get you to respond. And that played out exactly mm-hmm. how that person had predicted. And so I realized, and they said, just do not engage at all. You know, it was like with your fiance. It's like there was never going to be a place where I was going to get an answer that was like, here's compunction. Here's why I did it. You know, that was just not not going to happen at all. You know, I never, uh, in when I was writing my book, I would wanted to include him in it, right? I wanted to call him toward the end. And I ended up choosing not to because I thought there is nothing he can say, A, that I would believe, and B, he's going to deny it. He's still going to deny it. He's still going to deny it. It's going to just make me insane. So I actually never... I got my closure by not getting my closure with him, if that makes sense. And this is our final rule. You're never going to get perfect closure. So set a bar for enough closure and then stick to it. 
it was actually really nice to hear, um, particularly what you said, David, about um, realizing that um, that that you were never that you were never going to get what you wanted out of that person, and realizing that um, that any extra time that you spent on it would have just been, you know, doubling down on your losses. I kind of I love that idea a lot because I, I do feel like. There are times, definitely, where I go, oh my gosh, I need to drive by that house. I need to just, you know, spend the night in my car watching them. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I haven't given into that impulse, and um, I feel like hearing you say that makes me feel like it's been the right choice. Thank you to Casey for sharing her story with us. And thanks to Abby Ellen for all her great advice. Be sure to pick up her book, Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married. Do you need help with something? Send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And if you think this show might be useful to others, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen and Rosemary Belson produced the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, who is also our technical director. June Thomas is senior managing producer, and Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director of audio, and Charles Duhigg is host emeritus. I'm David Epstein. Thanks for listening.